What's good, everybody? I'm Steve Discourse, and this is the White Savior Complex. Two topics on my mind today. One is probably on everyone else's mind. Defund the police. What does it mean? Where did it come from? The other is also probably on a lot of people's minds. What do we do when we're not protesting? What do we do after the protests? Defund the police is not a new idea. You might have heard it for the first time recently. It might have been directly related to the mural that was painted on 16th Street Northwest in Washington, D.C. Right next to the other mural that says Black Lives Matter. Local Organizers of the the Washington, D.C. chapter of Black Lives Matter painted on the street at the end of Black Lives Matter the words defund the police. So it's new to a lot of us around the country, but it's not a new idea. A lot of folks have been working for years to bring about reforms that that phrase represents. It's not a in-the-moment response to some very emotional, high-profile police killings. So it might seem like that to us because we haven't heard it before, but the conversation has been going for a long time. So it might sound crazy to you, and you might say, man, these people are insane. Like, what what do they mean? Or when you read that, a specific type of scenario might pop into your head, and that sounds crazy to you. But... Defund the police, that phrase among organizers, among lawyers and scholars and activists can mean anything from complete abolition of a police department or the police force all the way to just making major changes to the budget, to the scope and scale of law enforcement. So if any of this sounds crazy or or shocking or completely illogical to you, I do want to go back to what I said in a previous episode that it's important to remember for a lot of us, we're coming into this conversation with experiences very different than a lot of the folks with a stake in these issues. Black folks have a different stake in this conversation, in these potential changes, in the status quo. And that's not to say that there is universal agreement. You know, I hope I shouldn't have to tell you that not all black people have the same opinion on everything. And uh, this is alarming for some folks because, you know, believe it or not, black people do want to be able to call the police too. Believe it or not, when there's crime in neighborhoods, black people do want police there for protection. But others view police as having a harmful role and, you know, when we call 911, when we call the police, we're not thinking that we might get a doctor or a social worker. We're, we know we're getting armed security, right? Someone will come with weaponry and power to defend us. And unfortunately, we call them for all types of things, even for situations where lethal weapons and power are not the most effective tool. So I want to read a statement from two statements 
from two different organizations related to this issue that'll help put some of this in context a little bit, and then we can go from there. From Stop Police Terror Project DC, they say, militarized policing and mass incarceration are military solutions to the social problems in oppressed communities. Similarly, from MPD 150, the police militarize and escalate situations that call for social service intervention. So what are these getting at? It's the idea that police have become a one-size-fits-all response for too many problems that communities face. If someone's homeless, we call the police on them. There's nothing inherently dangerous about homeless people going about their lives, whatever their daily life looks like, but we call armed men and women to enforce something on them. They enforce a community standard. They enforce my particular standard since I was the one that called for the police backup. If we call 911, police come and they're not equipped for these kind of things. So there's a lot of things that the police respond to that are really not appropriate for what are effectively soldiers. The underlying principle for the change, the turning point, the pivot point for a lot of these defund the police folks is the understanding that crime and antisocial behavior should be viewed as a public health issue. That is to say, whatever's going wrong in a community has a root cause. If it's crime, there's a root cause that can be addressed. Antisocial behavior is an ailment on the community and there are ways to remedy and heal that behavior. And I'm not saying all this to convince you to change your mind, but this is where it's coming from. This is the mindset. This is the philosophy that a phrase like defund the police is rooted in. And so as I want to pivot over to the other topic of what do we do from here outside of and after these public demonstrations. I'll segue with the NEAR Act. In 2016, March 2016, the City Council in the District of Columbia passed the NEAR Act, the Neighborhood Engagement Achieves Results Act. This legislation is based on the idea that antisocial behavior is a public health issue. So it requires a lot of different looks. We have to be able to respond to a lot of different things, and therefore we cannot have a uniform police force who are armed and enabled to force people to comply in virtually any scenario or circumstance. So part of this NEAR Act is engaging folks who have a probability of becoming perpetrators of crime. It's engaging them, it's training members of the community, members of organizations or professionals to do outreach, to intervene on folks' behalf, 
to mentor, if that's what it takes, whatever we can do to engage folks to either prevent them from committing crimes or to mentor them away from committing more crimes. One other aspect of the NEAR Act is to establish comprehensive data collection so that we know who and why and how the police is stopping people in the community. Maybe patterns can be sussed out and we can say, okay, well, you see right here, X, Y, and Z is happening and we can develop solutions to prevent this. So the reason the NEAR Act uh, is important to bring up is because the same people who are leading protests and demonstrations in streets, in cities, in towns, all across the country are a lot of times the people who are doing this work while the rest of us were going about our daily lives. The folks who painted defund police on 16th street in Washington, DC are the same folks who have been testifying at city council hearings who have been vocal in the local political process, who have been trying to organize a community and get information campaigns and letter writing campaigns and any engagement we can in their community to bring about these changes that they want to see, that they think would be best. And that's where we come in. What do we do after this protest, right? What do we do if this doesn't work? Or what do we do when the energy dissipates and we're not all out on the street? And this is what we do. We need to get engaged. I need to get more engaged. Because this work happens every day of the year when nobody's looking. More importantly, the bad stuff happens when we're not looking. The police brutality goes on. The same police practices continue to be entrenched and reaffirmed when we are not looking. And then... At certain moments in history, emotions boil over, and now we are all looking. But it's going to require our diligence to do the stuff that isn't sexy, which is pay attention to what's happening locally. You know, if these organizers, these folks are taking time out of their jobs to get down, to testify at hearings, which happen on weekdays, Anywhere from 10 to 4 p.m. We don't know, right? It's on the docket for today, but you might have to sit there all day until it comes up. And folks are making real sacrifices to be there. And then they're going home after work and they're meeting up with other people and they're saying, what are we going to do about this? They're preparing for these hearings that are coming up. And that this is a second job for folks. You know, these are not a lot of times not professional people just getting paid to go down and testify, right? It'd be nice if, if we could pay folks to do it for us, but um, we got to get engaged in these things. So I encourage you to read up a little bit, research the history of defunding police, research background on police abolition. If you go to my website, newdealmedia.com, I'm compiling a short list of resources so that you can learn a little bit more about these conversations and the work that's happening. There is research on best practices 
And there are models around the world and in the United States of what we would really consider, you know, revolutionary and drastically re-envisioned forms of policing. This is not just an ad hoc emotional response to the video footage of horrific murders recently. So I encourage you to check that stuff out. I cited a statement from the Stop Police Terror Project DC, and I also cited a statement from MPD 150, which is uh, a collaborative effort to reassess policing in Minneapolis based on the MPD, Minneapolis Police Department's 150th anniversary, which was in 2017. And that website has a lot of information. It's a good resource. And then when I was talking about the NEAR Act, I was citing the DC Policy Center. So those and a few other links will be on my website, newdealmedia.com. That's new with a K. And if you if you if you're not convinced, if you don't buy it, if you have more questions, concerns, whatever, tweet me at Steve Discourse. As usual, you know, if there's anything else on your radar related to this stuff, questions, advice, reactions, tweet me that as well. We can get conversations going. And um, as always, I, I'm just happy you're listening. I'm happy you tuned in. I'm happy you are dedicated to trying to do this work. I always say it's uncomfortable. It's not easy, but uh, it's important. It's necessary. So I'm Steve Discourse, and that's the White Savior Complex.